0: Lindsay Roantree is one of our college students. Here, you got to hold that up, to you, right here. There, yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask her a few questions. She is headed to... Uh, he's got it. Uh, she's headed to Greece here in about, what, in two months? Yeah, in March. For your, a spring break mission trip? And we're going to ask her a little bit about that. First thing, Lindsay is actually a great picture of a lot of what we talk about. when We talk about relational... Ministry, why don't you tell briefly how you got here?
1: Well, I was in Young Life in high school and I wasn't really connected with the church. And I thought Young Life was like all I could do and that was good enough for me. And then but I, sorry. No. and then um, I had a young resident named Ashley and she was like, You should come try to church. I was like, Okay. And then I liked it. And I have to say, the first time I ever came to was when David was like, I don't like
0: to hug people. <laughs> And you came back anyway.
1: I came back. So apparently
0: physical affection is way overrated.
1: Yeah, it was great. So, and then I came back, and then now I'm at George Southern, and so I come back when um, I'm weekends
0: or whatever. So tell us a little bit about Greece and what you'll be doing.
1: Um, We're doing, we're going to Athens Greece, and there's a college there, and we're doing a lot of street evangelism, and um, we're learning, like, step dance, and we're doing the lighthouse skit, and just, like,
2: get groups together,
1: and then we'll go off, and, for people and talking to people and, you know, just hanging out with them and building relationships throughout the week just to, so they, like, feel comfortable talking to us. And then we're going to uh, gypsy camps to, like, help them out and talk to them. And we're also going to the schools there and, like, having a bunch of little kids and just playing with them. So.
0: What are you hoping to get out of the trip?
1: Um, I'm really hoping to, um, God will use me to, because I was, like, living in the world and I like, you know the college kids there, too, and I pray that, um, God will use me to like shine through me and be like like I know what you're talking about, like I was there. And so like points me through that and I'm that like God will describe
0: me more throughout the week. Excellent. Ashley, why don't you come up here? We're gonna pray for Lindsay. Um, if you if you wanna find out more, Lindsay will be around afterwards. Um, grab her. She's a college student, which you can understand to mean she doesn't have any money. And you have to pray on the microphone. And uh so if you want if you'd like to support her uh, she's got some stuff that she can uh, give you about that, but I know she would also like for uh, us to be praying for us. She's gone. She does consider this uh, her home church, and we consider her one of ours, so we want to make sure she's taken care of in Greece. So, Ashley, why don't you pray? She took like one brick's worth of paper.
2: Yeah, I that one. God, thank you for my friend, Nancy. Thank you for the awesome work you have done in her life.
1: her heart,
2: pursuing her,
1: and
2: uh, her just willingness and obedience though, to dive in after you. Thank you for her passion. Thank for this trip, God. I thank you that you are going to amaze her. The funds that you will bring in, you're an abundant God. And more than what she you needs, you're going to help other people to go on this trip through your own people. And thank you for that. Thank you for yeah. the yeah. lives that are going to be changed in grace because of disobedience. But one of your servants here has. On and over with you, and it's realized how much you love her and wants to share that with the world. God, thank you so much for that. I'm to continue to prepare her heart and her mind. Yeah, just to reach out to others, but to continue yes. to receive her love. And we just thank you, right now that you're going to provide for this trip and, and just everything in mm-hmm. her life. And we ask all in the name of Jesus. Yeah.
0: Amen. Thanks. You can just take that back to your seat. Thanks. All right, I'm ask you a question. Tell me what you think, this participation, but don't yell all at once. What are the top ten New Year's resolutions? Okay, lose weight, get in shape. That's number one. What else you got? Save money. That's number three. Organize, number ten. Stop smoking is number six. What? More time with family. That's number four. Go to church. Did not make the top ten. What else you got? Number two, I give you, it has something to do with money. It's a little different from saving money. That's it. Stick to a budget. We got five, seven, eight, nine. Be a better person. Uh, More specific. Stop cussing. Did not make the top ten. What else you got? Get a better job, a better job is number seven. Uh-huh. Three more. Don't work too much. No. <laughs> did not make the top ten. Stop drinking. drinking did not make the top ten. <laughs> nope. Y'all are struggling. Help others be a better friend. We'll give you that. That's number nine. I got two more. I can't believe y'all missed this one. There's two. One of them's tricky, one shouldn't be tricky. <laughs> <laughs> Did not make the top ten. Find a soulmate pretty close to better relationships. And one that you might not know is to learn something new. Those are the top ten New Year's resolutions every year, not just in 2009. If you go back and you look, there are always, sometimes they shuffle around a little bit. The job thing probably moved up this year. But that's basically, that's it. Those are the things people say they want to do every year. And they like, well, how come? I mean, if, if everyone is saying they want to do those things every year, then how come they're saying it every year? And the reason is because most people fail. 50% of the people who make New Year's rev- resolutions have already ditched them by the end of January, and 90% have ditched them by the beginning of March. So that's not too far from now. 90% of the people who said things have already given up. So, of course, they're going to be their resolutions again next year because they didn't do it this year. This is Colossians 2 starting in verse 20. "...since you died with Christ to the basic principles in the, of, the, of this world, excuse me, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence." The Christians at Colossae had a problem. They bought into some false teaching that said the stricter they were personally, the better off they were. The key to being in a right relationship with God, this false teaching said, was to, you can see there, self-imposed worship, false humility, and harsh treatment of the body. So they thought if they tried really hard not to sin, then they would be okay. And what Paul is trying to wake them up, he's saying these rules that you have don't taste, don't touch, don't handle, they don't. Work That doesn't, it doesn't work. Back in the fall, if you were here and we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things we said is you can't tame sin. You can't domesticate it. You can't put fences around it. It breaks all the rules. The only way to get rid of sin is to kill it. That's what we, that's what you do. You have to kill your flesh, kill your sin nature. You can't put rules around it because eventually it's going to break free. And that's what Paul is trying to get these guys to see. The thing that people who make New Year's resolutions have in common with these Christians who Paul is writing to is both of them know what they want to do. This is my goal. I want to lose weight. I want to get in shape. I want to save money. I want to quit smoking, whatever it is. These Christians that Paul is writing to, we want to be in a right relationship with God. We want to connect with God. They know where they're going, but the way they're, what they're doing doesn't get them there. They're doing stuff that just doesn't work. You may have heard that expression, you can't dig a new hole by digging the same hole deeper. That's what these guys are doing. They're just digging the same hole deeper. For thousands of years, people tried to obey the law and say, if I obey the law well enough, I'll be in a right relationship with God. I will not sin. It never works. It's never, ever worked in the history of working. That's why we have a New Testament, because the Old Testament doesn't work. In the Old Testament, observe the law, follow the law, do this, and then It doesn't work. We can't do it. That's why we have Jesus. That's why he paid it all. Paul is trying to get these guys in Colossae to, to get it. You're doing something that has never worked. You're digging the same hole deeper. You've got to dig a new hole. And the same thing is true of us a lot of times. This is kind of an introduction to an introduction to a series we're going to do on dreaming versus doing. This actually should probably be like three or four weeks into the series sequentially, but I'm going to do it now and we'll see how it works. I was thinking about this idea for probably the first nine months that we've been in, that we moved in here in August of 2007 and probably until June of 2008, I operated under a bad assumption. I feel like one of the most important things, there are three things I think are really important for me to do as a pastor. And one of those three is to help people figure out what God's called them to do and then to do that. Ephesians 2.10 says God's created good works in advance for us to do. That means God's got stuff for you to do. There's this box, and he's made it, and it's just for you. It doesn't mean there's good things you could do. It means there's good things, and hes you've got a box here. And there's a box with James' name on it, and he's waiting on James to look in this box and start doing this stuff. For every one of us, theres we all have a box with our name on it. It's this good stuff that God has created in advance for us to do. And I feel like part of my job is to help you figure out what your box is and then to start getting into it. And so for the first nine months while we were in here, I thought people didn't know what their box was. And so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how do we get at what those boxes are. We do something every other month called a ministry greenhouse. And the idea is to help people figure out what's in their heart, what's in their box, and how to do it. And so we spent time trying to listen to the Lord, and everybody was really good at that. And we did all these different things. And back in June, Brandon did this thing. He called it a strategic orientation, which is a fancy way of saying he asked us questions to figure out what was really in our heart to do. And so he asked these 10 questions. We maybe had 35 or 40 people here, I think. And it was it was really good. And people were writing. And they had this stuff. And at the end, we broke up into two groups to pray. One group was people who didn't know what their box was. And the other group was people who did know what their box was. 90% of the people were in this group. I remember three people who said, I don't know what my box is. I don't know what these good things are that God has created for me to do. And I I was sitting back there and I thought, I've been wrong for nine months. I thought there would be almost everybody would say, I don't know what my box is. Most people, 90% of them did. And if that's representative of who we are, then most of us know what we want to do. So then the question is, well, why aren't we doing it? And I'm wondering how many of us, we need to dig a new hole, but we're just digging the same one deeper. We're just doing things that don't work. Psalm 37.4 says, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. If you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Most of us know what that is. We know, if we were honest, we know what the desires of our heart are. We know what's in there. I'd encourage you, if you don't, over the next week or two to, to get into that. We're going to come back to that in a couple of weeks when we talk about the idea of dreaming versus doing. What's the dream? You've got to figure out what's in here. But most of you already know. You know who you want to be. You know where you want to be. You know what you want to be doing. One, three, five, ten years from now. Most of you know the box. You know what the good works are that God has created for you to do. But for a lot of us, we're not, it's not clicking in our life. We're not doing it. We're not living it. We're getting frustrated. And so we make that we re up every December, or we re up every three months, or we re up after some sermon that makes us think we need to re up. And we do that, but eventually we're going to quit again.
2: Because
0: we get tired of trying. But what we're doing is we're just digging the same hole deeper. And we need to dig a new hole. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about how to dig a new hole. Ephesians 117, Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians. And he says, I pray that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know him better. And I think that's the key. We need a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Not so that we know God better, but so that we know what to do better. In the Bible, it's not just important that you know what to do. It's important that you know how to do it. I don't have time to make the whole case, but if you would just scan through the Old Testament every time there's a battle scene, and there's a ton of them, so it's pretty easy to pick them out, look at how the Israelites fought. They had all these different strategies. One time they walked around the walls of a city for seven days, on the seventh day they walked around it seven times, and the walls crashed down, then they attacked the people. One time they attacked from the front, set an ambush of 30,000 people in the back. One time God says, wait till you hear the wind rustling in the trees, and then attack. Another time he says, wait till after you worship and then attack. Sometimes they just attack straight up. There are all these different ways that they fight. And what's important for them is not just to know, hey, we're supposed to fight these guys. It was important for them to know how we're supposed to fight these guys. There are at least five times in the Bible where somebody's raised from the dead. You kind of think maybe there's only one way to do that. You're dead and then you're not. Never happens the same way. One time he's got a guy laying face-to-face, hand-to-hand, mouth-to-mouth with somebody. That would probably be the least desirable, for me at least, way of doing that. Other times, a coffin walks by, touch the coffins, talk to the corpse, he gets up one time, yell into the tomb, one time it gives the dead guy a hug. All these different ways of even raising people from the dead. There's not a technique that you can use every time. You can look at the way God speaks to people. Sometimes it's through a burning bush. We never see that again. Sometimes it's through a donkey. We never see that again. Sometimes it's through a dream. Sometimes it's through a vision, which is kind of like a dream, but you're still awake. Sometimes it's through another person. God has lots of ways of doing it. It's not just knowing what your box is. It's knowing how you're supposed to get at that. How are you supposed to live out the stuff that's in your box? Not just knowing, I want to lose weight. Well, how? Are you going to do the diet where you only eat foods off the even-numbered aisles of the grocery store on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and that's what's going to work? That's the same hole that you dug last year, the crazy diet hole. It, it's the same thing. Do something different. If that didn't work, do something different. Digging the same hole deeper is not going to get you new results. And so we need to figure out, well, how does God want us to do what he wants us to do, or we're going to get frustrated. We're just going to keep getting deeper and deeper, but nothing is really going to change. We're not going to see anything happen, and we're going to be writing the same resolution again next year, or our box is still going to be sitting there next year, and we haven't opened it yet. We still can't figure out how to get that into our life. I was thinking about this idea. This is theory at this point, so you can take it for what it's worth. I was thinking about this idea of wisdom and revelation, and that they're not the same thing. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that makes me think they're different. And I was thinking about wisdom, and I think wisdom is kind of like holy common sense. H-O-L-Y, common sense. It's the way God usually works, the way things normally work out. That's wisdom. It's kind of the general principles. And then revelation is a specific or direct word for a for a um, particular situation. So generally, particularly in the Old Testament, the way they fought, they had, you know, Spears and swords, so it was one-to-one. If I have more guys than you, I'm probably going to win because we're going to wipe each other out in hand-to-hand combat. So if i got more guys, I'm going to win. So generally, if you're fighting somebody, you want all your fighting men together. You want to muster the biggest army that you can if you're going to fight. That's wisdom. Wisdom says the most guys equals victory. Revelation in Judges 6 and 7, God tells Gideon, just take 300 men. And go fight those guys, and they're as numerous as the sand on the seashore. The Bible says, the Midianites and the Melchites—you can't even count them, like locusts on the crops. Just take 300. That's stupid. <laughs> Unless God has told you to do it, and then it's the smartest thing in the world. That's revelation. That's not wisdom. Is not taking 300 men to fight an army of 120,000. That's suicide. But, if God says, in this instant, Gideon, do this, well, that's revelation, and revelation trumps wisdom. Always. It always does. Wisdom is how God usually works. It's how, it's how we use, we should normally do things. And occasionally, God will give something new. It's a, it's a word of revelation that says, do it different. And when it, when He does, we need to, and most of us, I think, are bent one way or the other. We're wisdom people or we're revelation people. And we tend to demean the other. If we're bent towards wisdom, we tend to think of revelation as crazy and irresponsible. If we're bent towards revelation, we tend to think that wisdom, those guys don't have any faith. And they're not trusting the Lord. We tend to go one way or the other, but we need both. Paul says a spirit of wisdom and revelation, not wisdom or you need both. I need both if we're going to dig a new hole. If we're going to get where God wants us to get, I'm talking about you and your life individually. If you're going to get where God wants you to get, if you're going to be the person God wants you to be, if Psalm 37.4 is going to be true for you, that you will delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, you need wisdom and revelation. But most of you are bent one way or the other and you tend to neglect the other. People who are bent towards wisdom tend to make good decisions. Usually they make good decisions. Rarely do they make great ones. The thing that allows them, this wisdom thing, the way God usually works, that means most of the time they're going to do the right thing. But the, they miss the instances where God says do something different. They never go fight 120,000 people with 300. And so they miss that entire opportunity to see God work. They make good decisions. They almost never make great ones. And it's kind of a boring life. If you're bent towards wisdom, you need to make sure, these are some of the things that you'll fall into. One, you'll make good decisions, you won't make great ones. Two, you remove the relational element of living your life. You don't necessarily need God to speak to you because He already has. You've got everything you need. you just got to figure out which chapter and which verse applies to this situation in your life. And so there's not necessarily a seeking of God and trying to listen to God. You actually remove the faith element from your life as well, because it's the way wisdom says this is how God usually works, there's not a lot of risk involved. And so this whole idea of trusting God and seeing God, you maybe you've heard of, you're not trusting God to do something that if he doesn't show up, you're going to fail you're not trusting God. And that's true in a lot of cases. Are you trusting God to do something in your life that you can't do on your own? People, wisdom people, sometimes miss that entire opportunity. And so they're good. It's never great. And by great, I don't mean they're great. I mean they never see God do great things. And what wisdom people need to know is wisdom was always once revelation. Wisdom is just revelation that's been tested over time. It was fresh to somebody at some point. But it's it's proven itself over time. And so it's become wisdom. It's not crazy. It's not irresponsible. It's just, it's hearing God in a different way. Revelation, people, if you're bent towards that, you might despise, maybe not despise, but you neglect or you demean wisdom because it just seems regular. That's just common sense. Where's the Lord in that? We talked a few weeks ago about Psalm 126.3. The Lord has done great things for me and we are filled, filled with joy. And So sometimes for us, when we hear great things, we think miracles. Miracles are great things for sure. But not all great things are miracles. Anything God does is a great thing because He's a great God. And sometimes, revelation people think, well, the only way God can speak is through some miraculous way through a dream or a vision or an angel or something like that. It's not regular. It's definitely not through your parents, it's definitely not through people who love you. That's just normal. It's not common sense. That's not how God speaks. It's just that's too regular. And those people, Revelation people, you don't necessarily, you make great decisions and you make wretched decisions. It's all or nothing. You're hitting a home run and you're striking out. There's nothing in between. Wisdom people make a lot of good decisions and never make great ones. Revelation people make great decisions and a lot of terrible ones. And you make them several different ways. Some people, Revelation people, are waiting on Revelation for something that's never going to come. By definition, It's rare. Usually, this is how God works. Usually, if you want a job, you start by filling out applications, putting in your resume, talking to people you know who can help you get a job. That's how it usually works. Wisdom says if you're looking for a job, you follow those steps. There are revelation people who sit there and say, well, God's just going to bring me the perfect job, and so I'm going to sit in my lazy boy, I'm going to wake up at 11 every morning, I'm going to pray till 1, and then I'm going to take a nap, and then I'm going to pray, and that's what you... No, maybe. If God get, if that's a word from God to you, alright, go for it. But if you don't have a word from God, you're being stupid. Because wisdom says, this is how you get a job. Most people, when they get married, leading up to that, spend a good bit of time trying to get to know the person they're going to marry. As much time as they possibly can before you ask this question, will you marry me? That's what Wisdom says you do that. You try to get to know one another. I know a couple. They've been married for 35 plus years. One blind date and then he proposed. Stupid. <laughs> Unless God has told you. She's it. If he hasn't, and that's not the story you stand up and tell other people. You don't stand up in front of a college, bunch of college students and say what you need to do is just go on a bunch of blind dates and wait for the one that hits. No, that's dumb. This is what wisdom says. This is how people normally get together. There are times where it's different. That's revelation, and revelation does trump wisdom. But if you're sitting there waiting on revelation, and it's not coming, it could be because you've already got what you need. You just need to follow the wisdom. You might not like it because it's regular, or it might seem like work. It doesn't seem that spiritual. Usually we don't like it because it's hard. And we just assume God one date and there it is. I don't have to do the work of trying to get to know somebody or the phone call, come take this job. I don't have to do the work of putting in my resume and getting, going to interviews and getting rejected. I don't want to do all that. Usually that's what it is. Some people, revelation people, they're waiting for revelation. They make bad decisions because every idea that pops into their head they think is the Lord. And so they're bouncing from thing to thing to thing to thing. It doesn't even make sense. This is what God told me today. Well, this is what God told me today. Well, this is what God told me today. For goodness sakes. Is God a schizophrenic? It's not what He said yesterday, but it's what He said today. Revelation people, if that's you, you need to recognize that wisdom is a tacit acknowledgement of God. It is supernatural. You can't have wisdom if there's not an ordered universe. So the fact that there is this body of common sense, of holy common sense, says there's a God who ordered things. Without an ordered universe, there, there isn't that. Everything is random then. There's nothing that usually works. If there's stuff that usually works, that means there's someone who set things up so stuff usually works. It's, you don't want to fall into that trap of saying, well, if it's not a miracle, it's not a great thing. You don't want to fall into that trap and saying, well, if it's not revelation, then it's not from the Lord. It totally is. If it's Here, it is. And just because it didn't knock you off your seat doesn't mean that you shouldn't follow it. You need wisdom and revelation. Here's an example. Our number one financial principle here at Stonebridge is is income or revelation before expense. So that means if we're going to spend money, we either need to have the money or we need to know for sure God said spend money you don't have. In the two years or whatever that we've been kind of operating, one time in two years, have we spent money we didn't have? And it was for this. When we, for this building, we we prayed, we felt like the Lord said, you guys need to be on the square. This place opened up. It cost us $90,000 to renovate it. And we didn't have it. We had 30 adults and we had about $17,000. And we felt like the Lord said, this was the place. And so we signed a lease. And we hired a contractor, and lucky for us, the contractor happened to go to church here. So that worked out really well, and he started working. And we started praying, and I asked this group of 30 people and said, this is what we're doing. How much money can you give in the next month? You don't have three years to make a pledge because he needs to be paid. You have three weeks. And they came up with about $40,000. And then somebody who has never come to this church, anonymous gift, $25,000. $25,000. And then our home church, Riverstone, decided to take up a special offering, $30,000. And we had it. In the matter of about six weeks, we went from having seventeen dollars to having over $100,000. We paid for the whole thing in cash because there was revelation there. We don't do that very much because wisdom says if you don't have the money, you don't spend it. We tried to hire, we wanted to hire somebody last year to help. We didn't have the money to hire them full-time, so we hired them part-time. Because that's what wisdom says. If you don't have the money, then you don't make that commitment to somebody. You see the difference between the two, between wisdom and revelation? Wisdom says, do you have the money? Then don't spend it, unless God says, do it. And when he does, we see a great thing. We have this testimony in our history of the way God provides for us. If we had just gone with wisdom, we would have missed the great thing. But if we, go with, if we go with revelation and just say, well, what are we doing next? And what are we doing next? And what are we, We're going to make bad decisions. We're going to make terrible decisions. Because a lot of times God doesn't give revelation because he's already given wisdom. You hear what I'm saying? Does it make sense? It might make more sense in four weeks when we come back to it. Wisdom should never, wisdom never trumps revelation, or revelation always trumps wisdom, however you want to say that. But you never ditch wisdom unless you have revelation first. Unless revelation comes, you follow wisdom every time. That's kind of the rule. Got it? Let's pray. Lord, as we begin to try to get into this whole idea of dreaming and doing, I pray that, one, that you would clarify what the dream is. Lord, there are folks, a lot of people know what the box is, but there are people who don't. And Lord, I pray that you would show us what that is, that you would give us grace to see, to know the desires of our own heart. And I pray that we would not be afraid of them. Lord, I think there are people who think if I want it, then God must not want it for me. If it's something I want for myself, then it's my flesh, therefore God doesn't want it. And I pray that you would set us free from that way of thinking, that we would recognize you as a good father who wants to give good gifts to his children. And it very well could be the reason we want something is because you want us to want it. So, God, I pray over the next couple of weeks that you would clarify what the desires of our heart are, that we would know where it is you want us to be in five years, who you want us to be, what you want us to be doing, And God, for goodness sakes, if we're just digging the same hole deeper, I pray that you would show us that. Sometimes the hardest thing is to admit you're doing the wrong thing, especially if you have something invested in the way you're doing it. And it can be hard to pull up and go dig in a new spot. God, I pray that you would give us the grace to do that. I I do pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would know not just what you want us to do, but how you want us to do it. God, we don't want to be the guys that are writing the same thing at the top of the list every December. You're effective. You do things. You accomplish things. We talked about last week. You leave awake. And, God, we want to get on board with what you're doing. We want to see results in our life. We want to see results in our families. We want to see results in our community. our Places of business. God, we want to see results. So show us what we need to be doing. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know how to do what it is that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to do something we've never done before.